Shut up and sit down. everyone. I hope you've had a fantastic um, week and that you can hear me because um, I've stepped on my headset um, and I, I I hope it's still working. Anyways, um, they, they tell me they can hear me in the chat room. So that's good. Okay. So a couple of things before we get started. Um, <clears throat> I want to inform you that if you listen, if you'd like to listen to my podcast live, especially on Fridays, that you have until next Friday to watch Avengers Endgame because on next Friday I will have certainly exceeded my ability to keep my opinions to myself and I'm going to dedicate two hours to bitching about Avengers Endgame because Jilly will be seeing it this weekend and she can bitch with me. You got a week. And Lady Holder see it too, so she can no spoilers in the chat room, no spoilers. Um, so, uh, but Friday is a free for all. Next Friday, not this Friday, not now. Next Friday. So I'm giving you guys a fucking week to catch up with the rest of the planet and watch this movie, so I can bitch about it. And if you don't see it in that time, you'll just have to skip this podcast and come back to it later. We always podcast on Fridays, and other times it's like hit and miss. Um, and the only time I've ever really missed a podcast Friday is if I was just so, so sick I couldn't. And sometimes I still tried to do it. So there's a whole bunch of podcasts in my in a couple of years ago where I had a persistent cough. I just coughed right through it and kept on going. So, but for the most part, yes, I do prefer to um, um, to podcast on Fridays. And um, so, yes. Um, but if you have not seen it by Friday, you will have to forego listening to the podcast because um, I'm dead serious about bitching about it for two hours. Two hours. Okay. So, okay. Um, I've been noodling next year's rough trade topics, and I like to plan them in advance because there are people like me who like to plan, get their schedule, you know, in in order. Um, and we just finished uh, April, where we've got July, and where we're going to do the real end, where we're going to do um, alternate endings to movies. Then we're going to do a divergent AU in November. Well, that will be like you. We'll do Divergent AUs, and we've talked about it before in the podcast, and we'll do it again before October, November comes around. Um, or probably October, because you guys you got to sign up in October. Anyways, and I was thinking that next year, that I definitely wanted to do a little black dress for um, for the July, the summer, when, when, and that's our Sentinel Guide Challenge. But then I thought, well, wouldn't it be really cool if, like, we did a whole year of Sentinel Guide Challenges? Like, if we did one in April, 
and then, you know, we did the two short stories in July, and then we turned around and did a big novel challenge for Nano. So I'm thinking about themes and um, and the like, uh, but it's just it's just something I'm noodling. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I, I think it would be a lot of fun. It, anyway, <clears throat> I'm just thinking about it. <clears throat> and and what we could do with that, it'd be really interesting to you know to anyways. I'm noodling it. November is National Novel Writing Month, and this year in November we're doing the Divergent Path, which will be Divergent AUs in fan fiction. Um, and normally I don't make specific um, like fan fiction challenges for November because that's National Novel Writing Month where people are encouraged to write a novel in a month. But I just really wanted to, to explore that whole divergence thing, can divergence, and so and that's just where it hit. Um, as, as far as I really didn't think that trying to do it over the summer would be like in July would be productive with, with two short stories. And so um, it, that's the kind of format, that's the kind of challenge that really needs an, a novel length challenge to, to really be um, successfully explored. So um, we're going to do that in November. And, um, <clears throat> but yeah, be ready on Friday. Explain what the National Novel Writing Month thing or the Canon Divergence thing. She's typing. Um, but we could mix a whole bunch of different things in with the Sentinel Guide trope next year. But it could be – I think it would just be really interesting. So I'm really thinking about it. You guys be thinking about it, and um, we'll figure out how to shape the challenges and just, you know, really explore that whole trope next year. Um, and I, I think it could be a lot of fun. Anyways, canon divergence. Canon divergence is when you take a point in the canon of – a TV show, a movie, um, uh, a book, and then you diverge from canon into a different direction. Um, For example, um, of my six, I would say that Lantean Legacy is a canon divergence. But Sentinels of Atlantis is not. Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is a canon divergence. Um, whereas Courting Hermione Granger is an alternate universe. Let me get Julie on the air because I think she's probably better at explaining this than me. I mean, I have it. What might have been is actually an AU. Because in what might have been, Taylor is from Earth. So while what might have been and Lantean Legacy are actually kind of like fan fictions of each other. Well, Lantean Legacy is kind of like a fan fiction of what might have been. I kind of like, you know, but in Lantean Legacy, Taylor is from Pegasus. Uh, so Lantean Legacy is a canon divergence. What might have been is an alternate universe. Um, so I'm going to put Julie on the air and, and let her um, give us a a better definition of can divergence. 
Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Um, canon divergence is when you you take a point in the canon, and the canon, strictly speaking, that could actually be anything that's considered canon you can diverge from, um, which, like for Harry Potter, could be divergent from um, from from his childhood. It doesn't have to be divergent from the main plot points in the book, but an established point in canon, and then you explore changes from that point out. And the thing that's different about it is from other types of AUs is that all of the canon has to be intact up to the point of divergence. Otherwise, it's not canon divergent. It's an AU. Now, Um, we actually did several um, radio shows on this um, last quarter. Um, We did... um, if you go look at my uh, newsletter for spring on my website, you will see a list of radio shows at the very bottom, and we did two. We did a plot drift called Canon Divergence. Then we did another show called Bitchcraft where we, di- we, where we did divergence points in, in different um, fandoms. And then I thought we did another one. It probably well, it comes up a lot because canon divergence is is an incredibly common trope, um, and we did talk about canon divergence as it pertains to fix it because pretty much all fix it fix are canon divergent, right? Right. I mean, you have to the the point about fixing canon is you you have to have canon in, to fix in order to to do the fix. So you're diverging to make your fix. So um, either the fix creates the divergence or um, you, you know, uh, or the change you made the, to, to ripple to the fix creates the divergence. So it can it can kind of go either way with that. Um, and you and I explored canon divergence stories in a lot of our shorts um, right before mm-hmm. we started April. Yeah, uh, I would say um, that uh, trust issues for me and for the heart that cannot vary is also a canon divergence. Um, well, and because, um, in a way, the bridge and finding Atlantis are kind of technically canon divergent. They're in a way they're kind. Of, it's kind of squiffy because the divergence point happens pre-show, um, which is where John had an affair. And there's a kid he doesn't know about, but there's nothing that right. says that he, that couldn't have happened, right? So, the divergent you could argue the divergence point is the affair, or you could argue that the divergence point is when he finds out he's a, he has a son. But either way, um, it's more solidly canon divergence if you consider the divergence point when he's called back to Earth and he finds out he's got a kid. Um, right, which happens but in the bridge can- and is continued in finding Atlantis. Right. <clears throat> Um, but it's still canon divergent, even if you only consider the affair canon divergent, because John's backstory, him getting married and, you know, him getting divorced, that's all true, right? That's that's all. There is an established canon for what his life was like. So um, he went from being married to having an affair with Karen and Karen Riley. And so there you've got your divergence point in the past. Um, right. No, a son never dying. It depends upon. Well, 
it, hmm, it depends upon what you're showing because let's see how to put it this how to make that clear if you're showing if you're writing a story that shows like Jack getting home and stopping his son from shooting himself that would be canon divergent yes a story where you start the story and Charlie's just alive that's a little would bit be an alternate bit, universe yeah you because you'd have to there have the only way you could make that canon divergent is if Jack thinks Charlie is dead and in the course of your story he finds out Charlie actually is alive and I'm pretty sure there's actually a story out there that explores that concept um, that Charlie would it be a canon divergent if Loki cloned Charlie instead of Jack I would say so because you're taking a canon event and 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 you're altering it. You're saying I'm going to split at this point, and sometimes your canon divergent point has no consequences if the world doesn't know about it. So if Loki cloned Charlie and no one knows, everything in canon can stay exactly as it is until the moment they find out. So you and have two divergence points, right? So you have a divergence <clears throat> in the sense that in the in the in the canon backstory. Loki cloned Charlie, but your on-screen canon divergence point is when Jack finds out about it. So, um, canon divergence, I think that a lot of times what I hear people calling canon divergence are kind of like head tilt and go, eh, it's kind of an AU. Um, the most canon divergent story I have is, I think, Memories. I write a lot of AUs, so um, or Sentinel Guide. Um, but Memories is definitely canon divergent. Um, and the divergence point actually happens off screen, but it's explained in the very first scene, which is that Tony noticed something while Gibbs was in Mexico. He noticed something unusual that he didn't notice in canon. So there's a moment where Tony saw something different than he saw in canon. And um, th- then the ripple effect happens of that happens mostly off screen. And then the consequences of that all is explained to Gibbs and Gibbs picks it up. Genovo is also canon divergent. Uh, I'm going through my, looking through my list of examples of my stories that I think are canon divergent. Were, her biggest canon divergence will probably be the, the slow thought of indifference. Yeah. I would agree. I think that for me, um, I'm often more comfortable in an alternate universe. Or if I diverge such a point, like with um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, I diverged... um, very, 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 very early in the canon of Harry Potter, um, that it practically is an AU, but it's not. It's a canon divergence because of of the way it came about. Right. But if I hadn't started it where I started it, it might look more like an alternate universe. Yeah. I mean... if the divergence point happens too far in the past, 
of what's on screen, it I think it does start to just start to feel like an AU. Um, but you could still make the case, regardless, that as long as you're keeping canon intact, that's up to some point. Now, in the Harry Potter universe, that you know, there's a lot of fuck ton of canon basically that they explore. So at what point? Because like if, at some point you have to cut it off, right? If if you're exploring a Harry Potter story that's focused on Harry and his Hogwarts years, but your divergence point was that Voldemort had a good childhood and he's a good guy. I would call that an AU. The divergence point is so far back from what you're exploring on screen that it I don't I, I wouldn't think that that qualified as canon divergence. Even though technically you could make the case that it is, it would feel so much like an AU that I mean it is canon divergent AU. Death of Silence is very on screen um canon divergence for me. So is it actually DeNovo and Death of Silence both are on screen canon divergence. Which is Death of Silence is that Tony gets hurt in the events of Dead Air. But everything up to that point is the same. And that's what you're doing with a canon divergent story is you're keeping everything intact up to a point. So it can't be really considered canon divergent if you make sweeping character changes that contradict canon. And that's one of the things I've often seen in canon divergence they use that I think would invalidate them being part of that genre is there's like sweeping changes to the character's backstory. Now, I don't mean don't fill in the gaps because there's a lot of times we don't have the full backstory of the character. Yes, Impetus is also canon divergent. Um, That's on EAD. Um, But if if you if you're making big sweeping changes to a character and you're keeping all the canon intact, that it feels to me like you're failing to account for for your own changes. Because if you've made a lot of changes that contradict canon, those changes should have rippled out and affected canon. Therefore, canon can't be intact. And it is. <sighs> I mean, if you're making the effort to look like it is, like those, like those stories in Harry Potter where Harry goes up with a different guardian and goes up in a really great family, but the events of book one happened exactly the same fucking way. Yeah, just saying. That's weird. It's just weird. Um, sometimes your can, sometimes your can divergent, um, divergence is very sharp. Some canon divergent stories branch very narrowly uh, and there actually is I think one definition of canon divergence where the branching is defined as being narrow but I don't think that that matters I think as long as you have canon intact and you break from it and an example of um, a sharp break from canon I would call Wraith Killers a sharp break from canon in um uh, I Lady fucking Ross love Wraith Killers. Killers. If you've not read Wraith Killers, oh my god, where have you been? Go fucking read Wraith I mean, Killers after the podcast. That that is a ninety degree turn. Pay attention <laughs> to us. They go to the dinosaur planet and they spot and the divergence point is tiny. They visit a planet they visited in canon, but somebody notices something that they didn't notice in canon, and that's the divergence point. Is a moment of seeing something. They spot. They actually think it's heard. I think they hear it before they see it, and 
that one little tiny moment, that little bit of observation takes Canon and it creates a sharp fork in the road. Lady Ra writes a lot. I would say most of her NCIS and, and Stargate stories are canon divergent. Um, even a lot of her Sentinel stories are canon divergent because she writes actually in the Sentinel. And the only Sentinel is Jim in most of her stories. So um, Sentinel guide AUs typically are, I would say, not would not be canon divergent in any way, shape, or form unless somebody's coming online as the first Sentinel. You could definitely have that be a divergence point. Like, there aren't any known Sentinels. There's been no, nobody's heard about this thing. Maybe there's just Jim cruising along out there, but nobody knows about him. And then all of a sudden, one day, Steve McGarrett wakes up, and he can hear a mile away. That would definitely be canon divergent. <laughs> I, have a, uh, I have a partial idea where um, John gets recruited by the SGC um, before Atlantis, and him – He's in. He's, he's part of a gate team, and uh, they need a scientist. And uh, he co. <laughs> he basically kind of like hijacks McKay from Area 51 because he thinks he's hilarious, right? Um, and he makes him go on a mission with them. And McKay doesn't want to go. He does not want to go. And so he goes on. But he but he goes. He goes on the mission, and um, all. all Everything goes to hell. Everything goes to hell. Um, John and Rodney are the only survivors. So obviously all the characters on the team are, are not characters that I care about because I killed them all in the plot, um, except for John and McKay. Um, and they actually have to send um, – they actually get uh, uh, Braytac to rescue the team from that planet because the gate's broken. And so when Braytac gets there, all he can find is John and, and um, <clears throat> Rodney. Well, they bring them back, and John is really, like, kind of hostile, and they don't know what to do with him. And so they're, they're isolating him, and they send McKay back to Area 51, and or they try to. And they try to take Rodney out of the mountain, and... John goes feral. And that was the SGC's introduction to a sentinel. Ah. Uh, a little bit of a rude moment there for them. Now yeah, take and a they, guide away. They, managed, they managed to contain him. And Daniel knows Blair Sandberg. And he recognizes some of John's problems. And he contacts Blair, and he tells him what's going on and, and, and how they've sedated John. And Blair asks him, well, what made um, Shepard lose his mind? You know, what did you do? And he said, well, we sent the dude he was stranded with on that planet back to his job in Nevada um, and trying to get him out of the mouth. Oh, Blair goes, oh, um, is he still gone? Yeah, we did finally send him back. Oh, you need to you need to bring him back before you wake Shepard up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let him wake up that, that dude not in the mountain. <laughs> that's, that's not, not good. <laughs> and so and that and that's my plot. And so, um 
Blair and Jim come to the SGC to train John, and John is the first of many. Uh, he's just the first one outside of Jim um, to come online. And uh, so it's like the birth of the Sentinel Guide are known thing. And, um, and Braytech offers to, right, it would be Canada's Divergence. And Braytech offers to, uh, to take McKay and Shepard off world and teach and, and train them like Jaffa. And, um, Jim was like, well, if he gets to do that, I get to do that because I was the first but no Blair. Well, I get, okay, fine. You can come to human. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, by the time the Atlantis mission comes around, John is a colonel, and um, he's put in charge of the whole thing, much to Elizabeth Weir's disappointment. (laughs) McKay is – okay, the last thing I put in this plot document – was and they live snarkily ever after. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah. McKay, fine, fine. Come sit by me. Just don't. Are you smelling me? Are you sniff? Are you sniffing me? Are you serious? Because in this particular one, it's not a sentinels and guides trope a you thing like with all the empathy and stuff it's just john having jim's deal and blair and rodney being his 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 guide (laughs) right just like blair in canon doesn't have empathy doesn't have any special skills he's just jim's person well mckay becomes john's person And every time they go off world and uh, John smelling Rodney, Rodney's just like, just ignore him. He does that. <laughs> it's okay. No, he won't. He won't tell you. Okay. Like it's, it's, it's just me. Don't tell me, dude. That's not a good idea. <laughs> he doesn't like that. But anyways, and that was like when I first kind of like got the idea of, of wanting to explore um, John as a Sentinel. And then I read The Unlikely and the Unwilling, and I really dug deep into that Sentinel and Guide trope with the empathy and the bonding. And so that story idea never got written because of Lady Holden. We all, we all uh, <laughs> credit. That is the, I'm giving that is credit. the terrible blame. I don't, I'm not sure that anybody would consider that credit right now. Well, you wouldn't have got signals of Atlantis. Well, true, true. <laughs> because that was a simple novel, not a 30-episode um, epic series. True. Yeah. But, yeah. So... But I really, cause I, up to that point, I'd only read fix where Rodney was the Sentinel. 
And as much as I enjoyed those six, and I do enjoy those six, um, I was like, well, no, 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 no. Joss the Sentinel. <laughs> I was just like, for John the Sentinel. And then I watched that episode, um, The Storm. I was like, see, John the Sentinel. <laughs> yeah, validated. See, see. I knew it. <laughs> John the Sentinel, for fuck's sake. But then, and then I was like, okay, someone has to agree with me. Someone has to agree with me. So I went over to Race State. And um, I found um, the unlikely and the willing because Lady Holder was, was hosting her stories there at the time, and I was like, "Well, there we go." And what's really funny is that Lady Holder started betaing with me, and I did not connect her to the unlikely and the unwilling until like a month and a half later. How many Lady Holders <laughs> do you think there are? <laughs> I don't know. It just. But the thing is, is I often remember story titles, but not author names. Oh, and so okay. I went to go read it again. And I was like, well, holy shit, that's not Beta. <laughs> you know, there, there's a chance. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a tiny chance that Lady Holder and I have met in real life. We both attended Babylon really? the same year. Yeah. Really? Yeah. We like did the name. We did the year sync up. We both were there at the same time. So there's 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 a chance. Well, we we at least occupied the same space for a while. You were breathing the same air. Yeah, yeah. I think she forgot that we. Well, but talk about not remembering names. I don't even barely remember my own name from back then. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to go to a con as Kira because there's no way I'd manage to stay under the radar. No, well, if you start cussing somebody out is what would happen, and everybody would go, I know you. I love listening to your podcast. (laughs) She's the chief cusser-outer. That's her, like, official title. I want to go in a rabbit costume. Um, I just yeah. So, what's your what's so, your favorite of your of your Sentinel Guide stories? What's your favorite? I'm curious. It's gonna sound crazy because it was the most difficult one to write, but I'm gonna have to go with the subtle body. Really? Huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, love, I love story. I, think it's, I mean, it's my word, baby. But there's something about the subtle body that is very compelling. I mean, and it could be because I really do, um, of all the movies that I love, the Lady Hawk is probably right up there, number one, fighting off whoever, you know, it's just, yeah. I remember the first time I, I watched Lady Hawk, I cried like a baby when it was over. I, I mean, it was like I was I was like a <laughs> was like ugly crying over the happy ending, and so yeah. 
so being able to explore that trope of the Sentinel and Guide with the with the Lady Hawk kind of circumstance curse was really was really interesting and um I kind of honestly um really kind of fell in love with Steve McGarrett all over again as a character. Um because he had to find so much strength to get through every day. And it was just, yeah, it was, yeah. So, so the subtle body. Now you've written a lot of them. What, what, what would be your favorite? Uh, um, well, p- prior to demons, it would have been all your reasons, but demons is definitely slotted in as my favorite of my sentinel guy to use. Yeah, and it would have to be demons and not stick around because stick around there we didn't realize the whole sentinel guide potential, but yeah. So, but I re- I really like how demons came together. Um, I was really happy with it. So that one's my favorite. I really enjoyed demons, but all your reasons is is gorgeous. So, hmm. thank you. Um, I think I think all your reasons. Um, I like it best from the um, character, um, inter- the whole character dynamic, the the evolution of that, the, their interplay, that kind of thing. Demons is an as an overall story. My favorite world building, Sentinel Guide world building, which is totally unexplored in the actual story, was what I did for everything they said, which was the first Tony, the first Mothership story I wrote. But all the world building I did that I really loved didn't ever make it into the story. <laughs> <laughs> because don't do a bunch of don't do a bunch of complicated world building for a, for a short story challenge. Just you know, word to the wise. <laughs> so when you mentioned the idea that we might do, we've talked about this before. That sometimes it can be really difficult to really explore beyond the bonding in short short story format. And so doing a Sentinel challenge in for, for Nano would be really cool because you really get the you get the chance to really dig in and play with your world building. And I, I love Sentinel Guide world building. So I, I mean I don't even stick with the same thing all the time. I'm always trying to come up with something different. So oh, I fibbed. My favorite world building is Primus. <laughs> I forgot that, that one. <laughs> I, have to I say forgot that about that. To like, um, overall world building, um, it's sitting on the Atlantis. I mean, I've put a lot of yeah, I've put a got lot beautiful world building. Thanks. I put a lot of effort into sitting on the Atlantis twice uh, because the first time I lost it. Um, I think Primus is actually an EAD, right? It's on the wild hair. Oh, wild hair. Um, speaking of, I've moved wild hair and dark and rough trade to a dark theme. So um, if you see any issues, bear with me. I have a couple things on the back end that you guys, most readers won't have a won't have an issue with. Beyond the fact that if they hate a dark theme, they'll just have to use one of their little options to fix that um but uh you know 
Which is great for me. I, I, did get, I did get some nested bitching about my dark theme yesterday. yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, but I, I really like I really like change. It's here to stay. <laughs> it's here to stay. It isn't going away. Um, my, I just, I have, I think I have less headaches from the, the lighter stuff. But then when we had the lighter stuff up, I mean, I actually flinch when I load a site that is pure white now because I just am so not used to that blast of white. Well, I had, I had rough trade and um, wild hair in an off white, and I had my own site in a deep off white, um, but it wasn't enough, and I had considered going gray um, to see if that would help, but it really didn't. Um, but the the dark the dark black almost black is, is really nice. Like it's not black black, but it's not gray either. It's like you know. Anyway, it's really helpful to me. And um, yeah, I had I also did it to Lady Holder's site. She has new art. She got all slithering on us. She sl- she slithered into a new site. Um, yes, she did. And um, I'm just I'm really pleased. Uh, with with how it all looks, and um, I also did a site redesign on Rough Trade and gave it new art. Uh, so, but but Wild Hair did not get new art because I spent a great deal of time making those bunnies look like they were kind of 3D, and I'm not changing them. <laughs> it's staying. Those bunnies um, are fucking staying. If you go to a, if you're experimenting with a dark theme because you like it, learn from what we learned, which is that the only thing worse than black on pure white is white on pure black. It is. It, so yeah, it, you'll want to really do like hard. a. It's shockingly a hard. Gray to read. for your font. You need a gray for your font and like an off black for your background. That works best. I use kind of like a beige for my font, like a, but yeah, anywhere from a light gray to a beige, not pure white though. You want, you want to avoid that high contrast thing. So yeah, it's much better. It's a lot easier. And so I, it's a, we went to all the effort also to give people information on how to get into reader mode so that they can switch to a white background if they need to. So I'm just not particularly tolerating any bitching at this point. About I wrote a whole theme. article about it. Well, not a whole article. And I, but I did post about it on my site. And I am going to add that post to Wild you. Hair. Yeah, you did. You're welcome. And um, probably Rough Trade as well. At least the links in the FAQ so that, you know, people can keep up into their thing. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm an old lady, and you just have to put up with it. Yeah. I but need I to be comfortable about... on my own shit. That's right. <laughs> My eyes, my eyes on my webpage are the ones that matter. Um, if I was trying to monetize something, you know, you know, like I was like selling something on my site or something, I might be like doing polls and stuff to find out what people had a strong preference for. But there's no monetizing here, so the only opinion that matters is mine. Um, but I'm thinking about the whole Sentinel thing, and I can I can track my journey through fandom through the Sentinel which is kind of weird. Um, I was diehard X-Files. I didn't read anything else. I mean nothing else for years. 
Um, now, the funny thing is I watched The Sentinel when it was airing, <laughs> but it was like I had tunnel vision about fandom. It's like the idea that I knew other fandoms existed, and I knew that um, people wrote fan fiction on fandoms, but I didn't care. I mean, somebody – I had a friend who, like, had a filing cabinet of, you know, old Kirk's Fox Slash that she handed me, you know, like, one one day um, – which I kind of read for the, you know, I felt like I was like holding a piece of history, you know, that had been traveling around since like before I was born. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I wasn't really interested in anything outside of the exiles. So, and then one day uh, there was a story where um, Alex Krychek and Blair get together because Alex came online as a, as a Sentinel and it was building off of that episode where Jim told Blair he didn't want to go on that journey with him, where after after Blair died, and that rejection, um, when Blair had, when Jim had rejected him, then uh, the people who were like priming Krychek to uh, sort of be this sentinel helping to prevent this alien um, invasion, they went to Blair and said, "We've got a sentinel who needs your help. Will you help him?" And Blair kind of was like, yeah, okay. Well, so he and, and Krychek wind up spending like the rest of their days together as Sentinel Guide, defeating this alien conspiracy. Anyway, so that was my first exposure to Sentinel in in other fandoms. And I was I'm instantly hooked. I was instantly hooked. I was like, I have I, I have to have more of this. The thing is there wasn't any more of it because as far as I could tell, the Sentinel was not a big crossover, especially into the Exiles, and it wasn't big. There weren't Sentinel and Guide used very much anymore. I think there was like one NCIS story, one or two NCIS stories at the time. Um, it just it hadn't taken off really as the crossover, the the fusion, you know, behemoth that it is now. And you're welcome, and so, Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I'm not taking credit for that. I'm just being an asshole. Overlook me. I'm willing to let you. Well, you're listed on fan lore as having one of the seminal works in the Sentinel Guide or Known Universe. So, what? <laughs> um, you're welcome, fandom. <laughs> which is which so, is the awakening, by the way. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, but so I, and then I just started chasing Sentinel Guide stories. Um, I read the Sentinel a lot, but it wasn't what I wanted, right? I, I read a, I read a ton of Sentinel stories, and I I wanted that I wanted that AU element. I wanted that crossover. I wanted to read the Sentinel and other fandoms because there was, I felt like there was like you know the stuff that wasn't offensive in the Sentinel fandom, everything had kind of been done, and the stuff that was offensive I wasn't interested in reading, so. I was like, what else? What else? Let me, let, me, let me find other things. And so there's other shows that I watched, but I, like I said, I was very, I had tunnel vision about which, which shows I was reading fan fiction for. And, and like there's an NCIS um, story. And at, at the beginning, most of the NCIS stories, I think there were like two, um, had Tony as a Sentinel. So my first exposure to Tony and Gibbs as a parent <laughs> Was Tony as a guide and Gibbs as a, as, a, as a Tony as a sentinel and Gibbs as a guide, which was a little bit of a you know head scratcher, but whatever, 
get as a guide is the person, one of them especially was the author pulled it off, but it was still kind of a head scratcher all the way for me at the beginning. But then I'm, I'm chasing, um, you know, years go by and I still continue to chase Sentinel Guide stories into practically every fandom I ever wound up reading in extensively. It was a Sentinel Guide story that took me there. And then I get interested in the characters and start reading more extensively in that fandom. And I don't remember where I saw it or what I had been searching for, exactly what led me there. But in 2013, I think, early 2013, maybe late 2012, but I think early 2013, um, I stumbled on Lion Rampart on Naked Nano. And I was like, oh, a Sentinel Guide story. Um, in, in NCIS, and there weren't many of them at, at that time. There were a few, but there weren't many. And I read, I read the story, and I, I've told you guys this before. I bookmarked all of these stories that I was curious about on the Naked Nano site. I was like, I got to read this, and 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 I just, I had this list. And the site clean off was that night. <laughs> It was that fucking night. I got up in the morning and all of the whole site was gone. I was like, I don't understand this archive. <laughs> so, so I went and dug in to figure out why all the stories were gone. Because I I'm sorry. Before I, email. <laughs> it's okay. I research before I email somebody and say, what the fuck happened to all your fix? Um, and realized that it was a writing challenge site. And then I started following um, – started following the Naked Nano site, and, um, and then I realized that uh, Kira also had um, Sentinel Guide stories, so I started, I read The Awakening first, and I think you were in the process of writing Sentinel in Atlantis at that point in time, so mm-hmm. I read The Awakening, probably, and that's, that's how I got to reading Kira's stories, so, but I can, I can really, it's really interesting that I can track my, my kind of my progression through the fandoms I've read in through Sentinel Guide. That that's I me. Mean, it, it it's not how I got into fandom for sure, but it's what pulled me out of the X Files. We're grateful. Um, I, I'm curious. <laughs> when you read the the Awakening, what did you think? Because you said I earlier that you, that you had stopped reading the Sentinel because it had all been done. Well, there weren't a lot of – I hadn't really read many Sentinel guides or known AUs um, when I stopped reading in the Sentinel. Um, other than the only one I could think of that I – and it was sort of – it was the beginning of Sentinels and Guides Are Known was Sentinel School by Lady Ra. Um, mm-hmm. And that – I read that. That one was sort of that, – that was sort of Sentinels and, Sentinels and Guides Are Becoming Known. It was the beginning of the, the trope. So I hadn't really read um, many many of the full-on AUs at that point. So I was curious. So I read Lady Holders first, and she had this I, – I had read a couple, but I think her Lion Rampart was, was better explored the concept than anything I had read up to that point. So I was really curious about I want more of these Sentinels and Guides or known AUs. And I don't think there were actually that many of them. There may have been more than I was able to find. Maybe they were in fandoms that I didn't read in, but um, The Awakening and Lion Rampart was was 
the first notable one that I remember, though I had to have read one or two before that, um, I don't really count Sentinel schools of Sentinels and Guides are known AU because they become known in it's that whole gathering of Sentinels that she, she writes about that creates the massive onlining of Sentinels and Guides, which was a really interesting piece of world building that you had to get enough Sentinels and Guides together. The gathering of Sentinels had to happen in order for the guides to come, and then people would keep coming online. It was like a sort of a domino effect. I actually have only read the Sentinel School once because it deeply violates my own headcanon as far as Sentinels and Guides go. Yeah, it has uh, platonic pairs, um, and not just platonic pairs. It really isn't for me isn't the platonic pairs. It's the sibling pairs that I really struggled with. Um, but I read it before I even knew I had. like, And so when I read Lion Rampart, it, to me it was like me, it gelled with me a lot more. I mean, I still really enjoyed Sentinel School, but I really struggled with the like sibling bond Caring. between Sentinel Guide. Yeah. Because I had, you know, up to that point, I had been reading um, Jim and Blair Sentinel Guide in a romantic context. So the 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 familial bond was a, was a little bit difficult. I still really enjoyed the story. I thought she had really great world building. Um, it's just that particular bit of that particular that particular plot point was a little bit difficult for me. So, uh, but I really I really I really loved the Awakening, and I wanted you know I wanted like sequels, and I wanted. Everybody, every every side pairing to have their own story, and um, <laughs> I was like, "Can we can we use this world building and put other characters in?" <laughs> it was I was really, and then um, and then I realized you were writing another Sentinel Guide story, which was Sentinels Atlantis. So I'm pretty sure I read that next, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because somewhere in there I read Birth of the Serpent King. Like my first three stories oh. that I read was Birth of the Serpent King. Um, the Awakening and Sentinels of Atlantis. So those are the first three. But I don't remember which was second, Sentinels of Atlantis or. Yeah, I, I kind of took. Julie didn't like Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, I I had read a few stories, but it's just like none of the pairings gelled for me. Um I had several friends who were really into HP. Like they sent me like loads of links, and I, you know, and see, I'm pretty adventurous, especially back. Then. I'm less adventurous now. I was more adventurous back then, and I would read like, but the fandom just didn't, as as a whole, it didn't gel for me. So I probably read like a hundred Harry Potter stories, and I could say at that point it wasn't gelling. And a hundred may sound like a lot to some people. When you think about how many fanfics and there are in Harry Potter, and how many, you know, real Potterheads consume in a year, 100 is nothing. <laughs> Over the no, past years, it's a, it's I, a had, I had managed bucket. to get through. And I'd noped out of probably 75% of those stories. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, so then I read Birth of the Serpent King, and people have, and the funny thing, people have been recommending Harry Draco stories to me for, you know, that's like the one thing I hadn't been picking at, because I was like, I don't see it. <laughs> that was my response to it. I don't see it. So, yeah, Birth of the Serpent King ruined me. You're welcome, Twilight. It's, it's, 
it's still my um um Serpent King is still my my airplane travel story uh and Christmas story. I always read it on planes whenever I fly on planes and um and it used to be I would only fly to go see my family every year, and so it became like this Christmas tradition too. <laughs> I'm going to read it at Christmas. <laughs> One of the more irritating things about Birth of the Serpent King is that no one gets it. And I, I mean, and if people do get it, they haven't told me. Um, but the thing about the birth of the Serpent King, and people complain a lot about the ending for um, for that fic, and they felt like it, because I think because the Harry Potter books often ended at the end of the school year, and I ended it at the Yule break. Um, that they thought that I had cheated them out of, like, another novel or something. I don't know. Um, but I was telling a story literally about the birth of the Serpent King, about Harry recognizing and accepting his parcel magic and his relationship with snakes um, and coming into his first form um, as a snake. And he has more than one because he's the king. Um, Which means, yeah, yeah. And so it was about his birth as the Serpent King, and the next story in that um, in that particular series is called Dragon Rising, and it's about um, Draco coming into his um, his animagus form, which is a dragon, um, and then um, the the third story would have been, if I ever write it, uh, would be them um, truly coming together as both a couple and creating um, a conclave. Um, so it's, um, and, and Harry showing Voldemort really, really deep down into his bones who the biggest snake is. Because as it because as the story would progress, the reader would learn. I'm going to spoil this for you guys. You won't you won't be surprised if you ever see it later. Is that um, there isn't a snake on the planet that Harry Potter can't turn into, up into and including a basilisk, the king's the king of serpents. Right, because he's literally the king of serpents. <laughs> that was the point. And really, his his full acceptance happened right there in the Slytherin dorm when that metal snake came off the wall, and he he didn't hesitate. He spoke to it. He he held it. He he gave it his hand. He didn't hesitate. There was no moment where he thought, "Oh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't be like this in front of people." It was him accepting who he was and what he was. And not being ashamed of it, and doing it in a situation where he was literally surrounded by enemies, um, except for Draco, uh, in in his mind, and and he turns and gives that snake to Draco, and just walks back out like he doesn't care because he doesn't he doesn't care if they see it he doesn't care if they know, and that was his birth that was his moment of acceptance. Um, and a lot of people didn't get it, and that was fine. That was fine. <laughs> Sometimes when you do something in a fic you're really proud of and no one gets it, you're like, 
double burning screen. <laughs> well, but it couldn't be that nobody commented on it. <laughs> right, right. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah. When you when you thought you'd I done do. something really right, <laughs> really awesome, and they don't. Yeah. I, I've had that moment where it's like, I think like, you know, like I finish a chapter on something and I think like, you know, this is like the most, in my own opinion, I'd be like, this is the, the most beautiful piece of writing is in this chapter. And it's like the least popular thing I write in the whole story. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Um. We usually I try to we try to mention the stories by name. Somebody did find the story that I mentioned, the exile story. We mentioned the rest of them by name. I actually didn't realize it was by Polly Bywater. And I actually also didn't realize that there were ten parts. Ten ten novellas, basically, although some of these are novel length. Um but the first story, the one I was specifically talking about, was called The Sequel of Obligation. Um and yes, the first story in the series is called The Sequel of Obligation. That's that's the first. Um, and there's there's a lot a lot definitely quite a bit of this was written after I stopped reading the Exile because I did not know that she was still working on it. So there's a whole lot of this Polly series Bywater that I've never read. Is an awesome awesome writer in the Sentinel fandom. Highly recommend her work. Um, her and Candy Apple Apple Pie. I forget the other ones that I really enjoyed. It's been a long time since I've been in the Sentinel fandom. Um, and I actually actually even started this um, the sequel to The Awakening, but um and I talked about it before and we're not gonna we're not gonna rehash it again. I just um I don't know if I'm I'm ever gonna be able to open myself up as a writer, um, in the Sentinel fandom on its own again. Because in other fandoms like Harry Potter and Stargate, I I already have an established audience who are more than willing to indulge me in my Sentinel habit. Um, but offering up a purely Sentinel story opens me back up to the Sentinel fandom, and I'm just not ready to do that. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I plotted, like, way back in the day, I plotted, I even wrote one, you know, pure Sentinel story. Um, that was that nightmare one that I accidentally posted under my real name because I had a moment and when I posted it, put by, you know, real name, like, oh, really? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. The archive. Were you hot? It. <laughs> I was tired. <laughs> um, yeah. So the archive is great and it came down right away, but you know, I could never like show that story to anybody like ever again, because um, nobody could connect it to my my fandom name prior to that point, and nobody could connect it to my fandom name after that point. But anybody who had read it in that time period, you know, because people got these things in their emails, right? So people had it. It had my email, my name attached to it, my real name attached to it. So it was like, oh, get that down. <laughs> Jesus. Um, Okay, so the sequel of Obligation is apparently also on AO3, but only the first, I guess, three or four, three or four novellas are on AO3. You'd have to get the rest of them um, from her, her Dreamlet account. 
Well, it's a very good story. Um, I definitely recommend it if you like Exiles. It's much more Exiles than it is Sentinel, though. So, um, and they, she, I, as I recall, there's not a whole lot of explanation about the myth arc, um, and it, it's pretty deeply immersed in it. So, it it's it might not be an easy read for someone who doesn't know Exiles at least a little bit. But you know, just if if you really want to try it out and you don't know it, just kind of think of it as you know. Aliens are planning to take over the world. It's a shadow conspiracy for aliens to take over the planet, and someone's trying to stop it. There you go. There's your primer. Moving on. (laughs) Ta-da. But, yeah, I mean, the Sentinel God trope, it's it's one of my favorite things. And um, But, yeah, the the subtle body doesn't really have any – it's it's all about – their separation, which, you know, so, and I'm more of a, I'm, I'm definitely a romance writer. And so that was difficult for me, but also I think it, I, I did some really great work there as a writer. Yeah. It, but also it, it, in that one, it's, I think the romance transcends their physical connection though, because it, to me, it, it, it it I still got the romance. I still got the love that they had for each other, even though they basically were never on screen together until the end. So it I mean, they had to build that whole relationship separately. Yeah. yeah. The worst kind of long distance romance. Yeah. I mean, really, we actually we actually one day and please don't take this as a challenge. We don't need to pick this up again because we did spend quite a bit of time on this at one point trying to come up with a fandom that you couldn't apply Sentinel Guide to. And we couldn't come up with one. Now, some of them come off very cracky, like ridiculously and cracky. Ridiculous. And but yeah, it's when you still put, possible. When you, it's still possible. So, it, And it's that sheer the flexibility of it that makes it such an appealing um, trope. And 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 the Sentinels and Guides are known AU, where the Guides are are an actual counterpart to the um, Sentinel. That's the most appealing to me. Well, SpongeBob is obviously a guide. Hey, we did we we did um, the Teletubbies. We did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We went through all of it. So you are not going to be able to throw SpongeBob SquarePants in the mix and stump us on this one. SpongeBob is a guide. And Grumpy Bear is a sentinel. Yes, Grumpy Bear is definitely a sentinel who has not found his guide yet. Uh, Barney, I would say Barney is mundane just because, you know, um, the main character is not a sentinel or guide does not mean the trope doesn't fit. We can totally, yes, we could do My Little Pony. We could do the Smurfs. Barbie the Smurf. and the Guide. And Ken is a guide, too. I'm sorry, but what's that little, what's what's the, what's her face of the Sentinel? Skipper? Skipper. Skipper is a Sentinel. Yeah, there you go. Jim is definitely a Sentinel. Jim is definitely a sentinel. Um, 
But see, the point is, is there is no reason why it cannot apply. It may be weird, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. We are not doing Twilight. I absolutely refuse. It could be done, but I'm not doing it. Edward is a sentinel, and Jacob is his guide, and Bella went off into the forest and died of loneliness. Oh. We weren't going to do that, were we? Did you say that out loud? <laughs> I was thinking more of like um, the the mom and dad vampire. I can't remember their names. Our sentinel guide pair, and they can't figure out why all of their vampire kids are dormant. It's because they're all fucking <laughs> creepy stalkers. That's why. <laughs> they don't need any more gifts. Um, but I think, you know, honestly, um, if you can make, if you can insert the Sentinel and God trope into Star Trek, you can put it in anything. Yes. Literally. We worked it out pretty solidly one night with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And if you can do that, just, (laughs) there's no cartoon you're going to throw at me that we can't figure it out. And yes, Pinky is a guide, and no, Pinky is a sentinel, and Brain is a guide. There you go. I do have um, a Star Trek one in the works. It's on EAD. Um, you have a Star Trek one done. I did that. Yeah, I do. Race, Wrath, 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 Race. She's she's um, she's so Stargate. She starts so Stargate obsessed that. Wrath comes out right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Instinct on EAD is my other one. Um, is where Jim is a sentinel, um, and um Spock is his guide. But but Jim is a little gun shy because he's already messed up once and, and hard to guide because he was too powerful. Or mostly because he had um he has betazoid genetics and it messed the guide up and so he's afraid of it. He's afraid of bonding, and um, he doesn't want to hurt another guide. And so, but, you know, I'll finish it one day. You all know how it's going to end, right? (laughs) That's not a surprise, is it? (laughs) No, they'll get together, duh. I I don't ever worry about (laughs) you leaving me hanging on that front. Um, I have I have one Sentinel Guide story I think that hasn't the the there are two that I didn't want to put on my site till I knew what I was doing with them where I was going because I wasn't happy with the plot direction I was taking Primus which is why I put it on um, Wild Hair uh, as a gift for a friend so everybody benefited because I was being nice to somebody else and. I put Beautiful Decline up on EAD because I don't know if I'm going to be getting back to Lucifer anytime soon. So that's why it's over there. Um, And I could just call that one done and move it to my site, but I still see so much. um, I see a lot of potential in the storyline that I didn't kind of want to just call it quits on that, but I don't want to put it on my site if I don't really understand my direction. So anyway, that's why I did that. But Send for the Man, which is my other Sentinel Guide story from last year, is not up yet. Um, so that one is, 
um, percolating back there. Um, I will finish it. There's nothing, nothing particularly holding me up on that one. But yeah, it 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 needs a sequel more so than anything else I've got pending. It needs a sequel. So I didn't want to get working and put the first one up if I wasn't really willing to start pondering the sequel. Um, but I've been really wanting to work on my Star Trek Sentinel Guide story. Really, really wanting to. And it's just like I feel like I'm like drowning in stories that I'm you know, an inch from finishing and that that's what I, so I've been trying to stay on task, but well, I haven't started really it to dig into that. No. Then you should save it for next nope. year. <laughs> I should. <laughs> then you will have a definite period of time where you'll be required to work on it. <laughs> there you go. And it'll be a long one. Um, too, so it could be, it could be nano. Yeah. A S O I S, a song of ice and fire. I think. I guess. Oh, I can't keep up with those things. I can't keep up with those. <laughs> okay. I I do the I do the I do fine with the GOT acronym. You know, I do the Game, Game of Thrones. I get, but a song of ice and fire. I, I'll I often scratch my head on that one and go. What I was like. Is that that Air Force office thing? <laughs> no, it, it's office. the same letters, but in a different order. Is it? Is it? Okay. Yeah, uh, the but, Air Force um, thing is Air Force Office of Special Investigation, so AFOSI. Okay. I have never read the Game of Thrones, and I never will because it's very rapey, and it's just, I, I can't. I, I can't, but I'm really glad that a lot of people get to enjoy it and, um, Really dig it deep into it with a very rich canon. I mean, there's there's a lot to work with. Um, so, I'm glad for you guys who are who are able to enjoy that, and you have this whole awesome book canon, and you have this really big epic TV series. Just you know, that's awesome for you guys. So. One of my friends says, oh, I feel sorry for you. You're missing so much. I said, I'm really not. I no. promise. <laughs> I, I hadn't read the book. Um, I haven't hadn't read the book, but I was thinking about it, and I started watching Game of Thrones and noped out, like, on the first episode. I was like, nope, nope, nope. And if this is based on the books, I'm not reading the books. <laughs> if this is at all accurate to what's going on in those books, I'm not reading it. Um Uh, I'm I'm kind of gather I gather that the that the 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 TV show is tame compared to the book, so that's definitely not for me. Um, but uh, I also actually I really enjoyed the world building I did in um, Beautiful Decline, but it's just it's a very it's a it's a fandom I am in the mood for really infrequently, like pretty much just that summer. <laughs> I don't read in that fandom either, so what made me think I wanted. But sometimes you write a one-off thing in a fandom you're never going to touch again, you know? You write, like, one story in it. And that might be the true for all of us this summer. We might all be writing one-off, not 
all of us, but many of us might be writing one-off stories and fandoms we might never write in again. I will be. I mean, well, this will be my second alien fic, and my first alien fic was also <laughs> a fix on the ending. <laughs> Some endings need to be fixed. So. I, 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 you never know. I, I might be this summer. Might be doing a an end game, um, re, redo, pretending like Dallas. You know, to have a Dallas moment going on. I was thinking actually that you know how he had that vision in Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. and it made him overreact a little bit. What if that could hold in game just Tony having a big vision? <laughs> Already Thor gets high <laughs> in its <end> vision. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what I'm gonna I'm, I'm all about go with waking up in the shower. I mean, you know <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Remember remember it at the end of Infinity War, Doctor Strange was having like millions of visions. This is just one of them. This is one of Doctor Strange's visions, and he wakes up and goes, no, not that one. <laughs> that didn't work out. No, it's not quite what we wanted. Let's try four million and two, or however many world futures he explored. Um, 14 million, 14 million. Was it 14 million? Um, yeah. So 14 million and one. Um, I am – I'm still planning to do – you know, like I said, this might change after I go to the movies this weekend. Um, but I'm still planning to do Chronicles of Riddick and The Hobbit. Which one of the Hobbit movies? I, I don't remember which one. It's whichever one where they actually get to the dragon. <laughs> that one. I believe it's Desolation of Smog, right? Yeah, I, I think it's the second one. So, um, um, Yeah, I'm doing The Terminator and I'm doing... Um, Aliens. You're just giving Michael Michael Keaton. Yeah, he needs one. We we thank you. If you could save him in The Rock, I wouldn't be sad. (laughs) I'm watching, I watched The Terminator, and I picked out four different points where I could diverge. Um, And so I'm on the fence about where I will um, diverge. Um, I only have 25k. Is, is, is that the top? I keep forgetting. Um, uh, I think it's 35. No, this is a short story challenge. I, I I wouldn't have put 35 on it. Is it 10 to 25? I think so. I actually came out of Endgame more inspired than ever to write MCU. I thought that I would be, no, and I can't even read the fan fiction anymore. But I came out of it um, sad, satisfied, irritated, and I had 22 different ideas. I wrote them all down already. 22. 
It was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. It was. It. I wouldn't say it was perfect, but um, it was great. I I, I enjoyed it as a thematic experience. Um, but there were parts of it that were infuriating. Um, but we can't do that tonight. We're doing it on Friday, and then you guys will get my full fucking opinion. Um, <clears throat> we're doing it and next I'm gonna Friday. have a full on. You got. I'm gonna have to have at least, like at least a minute next Friday to have a full on tantrum about one thing. So that I already know about. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen it, but you know. There were, I'd say, there were there were asshole level spoilers that happened. You know, like people putting, you know, full on spoilers in their summaries on Ao3 and fuck you very much, and then acting like victims because people yelled at them about not about putting spoilers in their summaries. And they're like, okay, you know, if you don't want spoilers, don't read this. Well, it's like, well, don't put them in your summary, assholes. Anyway, um, but then somebody did ask me, you know, a roundabout way of asking if I would want to know a specific thing, and I was like, well, hell yes, I'd want to know. So. Actually, I guess, I guess <laughs> the nature of the thing, just by the, you know, would you want to know about something kind of, a very vague question. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, yes, I need to know. Yes, I need to know. So, yeah, I'm going to have a full-on tantrum about that thing. Anyway, um I, uh, uh, we might, we, we, you and I, we have an MCU prompt right now, tentatively, is the leading thing for November, but it could be that we change it. <laughs> we might pick a different prompt. Game. Yeah. Right we now, might be talking our about a different prompt for November is, I, I pulled my notebook out, my, my November notebook is orange. I bought a pink one today. I don't know what I don't know what it's for yet, but if I don't have a pink one in the flight um, three subject, and I saw it, I was like, oh, well, I have to have it. Anyway, because flight's my favorite kind of, um, of notebook. Um, anyways, our current prompt is Steve recognizes Bucky on the street during the events of Winter Soldier and makes a different choice. He goes to Tony Stark for support. That's our current prompt for November. And Lady Holden needs to finish up all the shit she said she needed to finish so she can do it with us. Right? Sprint, sprint, sprint. I'm looking at you, Lady Holder. Oh, you guys, I did the most terrible thing to Lady Holder. Um, I, um, <laughs> Skype gave me the option of putting my phone number in. So that when I call from Skype, it will show the number that I put in. So I put my cell phone number in so I can call people from my computer, and they'll think I'm calling from my cell phone. They won't know any different, right? So I, I need to text it. Who's awake right now? Of course, Lady Holder was. But I've never called her like that in the middle of the night. I knew she was awake. She answered the phone, what's wrong? <laughs> I was like, nothing. I'm just checking my Skype. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I didn't even get hello. I got, what's wrong? <laughs> and that's when I realized I probably should have asked her, like, like you know, messaged her and said, hey, I need, I need to check my Skype. I'm going to call you. <laughs> Full disclosure. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. 
what happens when you keep hours like I do. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't cross your mind. Like, I, you were awake. It wasn't like I woke you up. <laughs> I call my mother at 3 o'clock in the morning because she's awake, and I know she won't think it's weird. <clears throat> I, pretty much, I don't think I call anybody at 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, I'm usually awake, but I don't call people. Why do I call you after my surgery? I remember doing it. I just don't remember why I did it. Me and anesthesia. I have very weird reactions to anesthesia. There's just a telling what's going to happen or what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, I just called you back. <laughs> oh, look. I'll call lady holder. <laughs> For all I know, it was your turn on words with friends. <laughs> Speaking of, it is your turn on words with friends, like 20 times over. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, um, I don't know. Like I said, you know, I came out of um, uh, what's it? I I came out of in game really inspired with a with a nosebleed. Um, so sometimes really inspired means that things were really fucked up, and sometimes really inspired means that things were really awesome. And this could be both. Um, I will find out soon. I don't, I better not get Never a nosebleed. Seen. There were things I didn't agree with, and there were things that I enjoyed, and there were things that infuriated me. And it's just, you know, so, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I look at all canon content as fodder, fodder for my own ideas, because that's how arrogant I am. And I'm like, but speaking of arrogance, dude, when you're watching this, you're going to come across a moment of arrogance that's so profound, your mouth will drop open. And that's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to spoil it. But I was like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> you will you will be like, Holy shit, look at my phone gets so scared. I go, oh my god. <laughs> I can't fucking believe that shit. Anyways, we will discuss that on Friday. Um, so, Sentinels and Guides. <laughs> my favorite universe to write Sentinel and Guide is probably Stargate. I mean, I've done it in um, Harry Potter, I've done it with the Mothership. Um, I've done it in Star Trek, but I think I'm at my most comfortable in Stargate. I only care about Tony, <laughs> which which implicitly kind of means I'm probably going to be, well, I would, yeah, I can't say implicitly. I've written three with four in the MCU which makes it look like it's where I'm most comfortable. Um, 
But now I feel like I need to put uh, Tony into Stargate in a Sentinel Guide capacity. You did. It's called Primus. Oh, that's true. I did. I just forgot. <laughs> I'm forgetting that story twice tonight. <laughs> but it would be really interesting. Let me throw a bunny at you that I would never write, but I would be super thrilled to read it from you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what if um, – let's say John and McKay are sitting on God, and they're on Atlantis, and they need a pair – a Sentinel Guide pair, to come to Pegasus and hunt for Ford. Who would you send with Tony if Tony is the Sentinel? If Tony's the Sentinel? Mm-hmm. Hmm. We'll, we'll reverse it in a second. But first time out, he's the sentinel. Who do you send as his guide? Wow, I have I I. Hmm. Well, um, I probably would have him be bonded to Lorne because Lorne was second wave. So timing-wise, it would fit with Lorne's arrival, too. Wow. Um, That's so hot. (laughs) (laughs) Did I tell you what a really hot-ass dream I had about that actor? Kevin Smith? Yes. Oh, my God. I dreamt, for some reason that I was a boy and I was getting it from Kevin Smith. Really? <laughs> yes. Getting it like getting was, it really good. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I have never in my life dreamt I was a man. But I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah. We've been we've been rewatching um almost human. And we were today. We were watched the episode. Oh, I love almost humans. I know. We were watched the episode where Kevin Smith plays a prosecutor, um, and it's the one with the the guy with his clones. And Kevin Smith is the mm-hmm. prosecutor on that case. And I look up, and I'm like, "There's Evan Lauren sitting there at the table in a suit." And I was like, "Oh, I've forgotten that he had a guest spot in this." It was so frustrating um, that they missed almost human up. I mean, they, they aired it out of order. They canceled it after a season. It was just, it was like, it was literally like firefly all over again. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, just fuck you. Fuck you. Because it was great. I actually have a story started of almost human, but then I was so mad when they canceled it that I rage quit it. Yeah, I agree. It Almost human, you can't trust Fox with sci-fi and probably not with fantasy either. Um, you just can't trust them. So don't do it. Don't don't put yourself out there like that. <laughs> they also canceled Gotham this year, so. Of course Gotham they did. Band, sorry. Um, but, yeah, that would be great. Okay, so turned around. 
Tony is the guide. Who's the sentinel that he brings with him to Atlantis? Well, I mean, it's easy to say Steve, Steve. It's easy to say Steve. My first thought was Ian. Well, they're both fugitive hunters. Yeah. Um, Oh. (laughs) I'm not mad. (laughs) He's so pretty. (sighs) Yeah, I, I, yeah, that could be. Now I do see I do see Ronan more as a sentinel, but I I've read a couple things lately that I think in Finding Atlantis is one of them. I think I could I could turn that around and make Ronan a guide. I could have Tony come out um as a sentinel, an unbonded sentinel, and meet Ronan. I could I think I could make that work. Ow. What? I just no, I just got a my skin pinched in something. Nothing like a bubble. Ouch. Bubble. I'm putting you in a bubble. <laughs> well, I mean this isn't like, you know, when I stabbed myself with that nail implement or, you know, when I put that knife underneath my fingernail. <sighs> Rude. You're not calling it now. <laughs> I haven't broken anything in months, years even. Cross everything I have and knock on wood ish. That's a good point, Dark. This is true. I tend to write Harry Draco fix when I'm broken. You probably shouldn't tell people that. They'll, you know, there'll be people out there who are big Harry Draco shippers who are wishing you ill. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of public service announcement, if you have diabetes or if you have sugar problems, it is super important that you pay attention to your feet. My toes are kind of numb, right? And I, have that I, too. Um, I uh, didn't notice that I had an ingrown toenail until today, and I had to go get a pedicure. It wasn't her fault, but damn, it was not pleasant. I'm just saying, it was deeply unpleasant. But my toes are cute right now. Painted a lovely cute Fifth t- Avenue by China Glaze. This was like a dark, rosy pink. Since I started having the neuropathy issues with my feet, the little the numbness and stuff, I find getting pedicures very unpleasant. Super unpleasant. I, do, I find that but I don't like it. I need, 
I need to have them because um, but I like cute toes though. Because I, it's just not it's not cool. Yeah, I mean it has to get done. I just um yeah I don't let them scrub my feet and I don't let them massage my feet and it's just oh, none of that none of that I'm like no, I don't like it just do just, just do the toes. I said no to the to the massage. Um, and she was looking at me like I was crazy. That's okay though, because I just couldn't handle it. Um, um, so uh, she, you know, did all the stuff she had to do, um, and I did get the callus removal, but um, no massage. Because um, I have fibromyalgia, and actually getting my and getting deep tissue massage on my legs is actually painful. It's not relaxing at all. Um, so no, but yeah, I did get my toenails cut down and I had to have two, uh, in-ground toenails removed, uh, not removed, removed, but you know, cut out, dude, not cool. Mm-hmm. So be careful. It if you have diabetes, You don't want to lose a toe and that's how you lose a toe. It's a cute color. It's my favorite color. I also have a purse like it. That I'm currently carrying is the same color. But I don't um, have the willpower to cut out an ingrown toenail myself, so I have to have somebody do it for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, it doesn't even really there. hurt. It's just, it's, it, there's something really... My issue is that I can't, I can't get the angle right to do it without making my, making my suffering worse. Um, I, I, it's just, it's too awkward to get everything at the right angle that I'm not just poking myself you know, endlessly. And, and the pokes are weirdly for how numb, especially my big toe is, for how numb it is, it sure is painful when it gets poked. <laughs> it is creepy, Tiffany. That is exactly what it is. Um, but, yeah, so um, if you have diabetes, you need to get your feet done at least once a quarter. Um, so be kind to your toes. You don't want to lose them. My grandfather lost both legs up to the knee eventually, start with just the feet, start with some toes, and then to the feet, and then up to the knee. So, you know, we don't need to be having amputations. Take care of yourself. So, do you prefer, okay, like if you were going to write, um, a Stargate um, Sentinel guy thing. Um, McKay and John are your pairing. Would you want them to meet and bond, or would you want them to both be online? Um, and I, I know we did that prompt for where we did them, where they're coming on, where John and Rodney, and your story came online on Atlantis. Would you prefer to do it on Earth, or is it cool to do it on Atlantis? Um. It, it a little bit depends on how I handle the politics around the Sentinel and Guide thing. There's something to be said for um, 
unexpected things happening on Atlantis um, because I think it gives an opportunity to explore things on the city that might not have come up in canon. Um, you can you can leverage in based upon oh there's sentinels and guides here now that there weren't before, um, or um, I like the I like the idea that you explore sentinels of Atlantis that the city has an effect on the bonding on them coming online and that people you know they might come online in greater numbers when exposed to um, ancient technology, the whole thing with the control chair was all very, I found that all very interesting. And so those are all elements that are all harder to explore if John and Rodney, um, depending upon the length of the story. I mean, Sentinels of Atlantis is, is, is a behemoth, right? It's, 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 it's right. epic in scale, which is not something I would approach in challenge. So um, if I were doing something in challenge where I was trying to limit myself to some reasonable word count, I would probably want to have them come online on the city. And away from, you know, um, and actually it could be a funny little thing to write into the expedition charter. Um, that like the IOA wants to, um, actually now I'm, I'm amusing the fuck out of myself. Um, is that the IOA wants to, you know, there, there's quibble about what constitutes threat you know, enough threat for the military to take control of the expedition. And so somebody um, puts in that, you know, one, one measure of threat would be that if it's sufficient enough to cause sentinels and guides, sentinels to come online um, and that they encounter the race, <laughs> like a whole bunch of sentinels come online and they're like, no, oh, sorry, Elizabeth, it's pretty clear in the charter. <laughs> we, we just had a, we had a whole pride wake up last night. You're not in charge anymore. Is what a specific bunny? So this is just a plot drift dark. We're not particular. We're not, you know, throwing out specific prompts or anything right now. It's just we're just drifting over ideas. Um. <clears throat> but if you get bunnies, make your notes. Um. Yeah, definitely make your bunny notes. One thing I really liked about yours that I didn't fully explore in mine when we did the with the, the prompt for that, um, when we did do that one sentence prompt for that, um, mine was called Just One Touch and yours was called The Choice. The Choice. Um, one thing that you did that I wished that I had explored a little more was um, Elizabeth's Interference. Hmm. Yours was her. Yeah, she thought it should be her because yeah. she was the leader. Yeah, and, and we made it that I wrote that that you know that it didn't happen all that often, and that um, it, it would be an automatic place of prestige in the expedition or leadership in the expedition, and so her assumption is that you know she should be the guide. But in that story, it was also was terribly bad that, etiquette. Like, oh, what if she actually touched him and he killed her? <laughs> <laughs> because I would think the punishment for being so presumptuous would be severe. 
Just saying. Yeah. I would think so, too. Because there has to be reasons why it's so taboo to interfere with the, the, the selection. And because I just had her protest John doing it at all. But I really liked how you did it, where it was that she wanted to be the guide. Now, in mine, Rodney was already online as a guide, and, and, and everybody knew it. Um, and that he actually agreed to come to Atlanta because he knew John was the Sentinel, and he was just waiting for John to get the invitation. Look at the tussie misspelling my name. Caria. <laughs> now you're gonna have to have a, 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 a character named Caria. <laughs> I'm gonna name my sim that. Caria. I, I have McKay and John in my sims. I made them, um, and they have two kids. Uh, Rodney's the carrier because in Sims Four you can make um, um, your males males get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> No, that no terrible like ship name. Porn. That's no, that's no. We're gonna have to give that a real ship name. You can't do that. No. Based upon that smiling face, I want to call that the sweet ship. <laughs> <laughs> the sweet ship. <laughs> the good ship. <laughs> the McLollipop. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. I hate name mashups anyway, but that may be the worst ever. No, and Fork is the worst ever. <laughs> okay, Fork is the worst ever. But for those of you who can't see this atrocity that's in the chat room, is Ellie has graced us with Delorno. <laughs> which is, which is Delorno. Latin. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the Giorno. <laughs> I just got my road plowed. <laughs> so <laughs> What was I thinking? You guys ruined me. I, I had a thought. It it's gone now though. What were we talking about? My brain it was like it's it was like a canon divergence moment. It took a full right hand turn <laughs> for Delorno. <laughs> I hope I hope somebody in the chat room remembers because I don't remember either and it's just it's just gone. I Sim oh, four. Oh, four. So Rodney and John are in this house and um Rodney is a tech guru and John's a writer. Um and John is actually making more money than Rodney right now. That's pretty interesting. Um, the Sims 4 has a very um, inflated sense of what uh, a freelance writer could make. Let's just put it that way. Um, but regardless, okay, so Rodney, like, got promoted in his career, and, like, his promotion gift was a coffee pot. And so I put the coffee pot on the counter, right? Okay, congratulations, Rodney. You got a coffee pot. 
this asshole brews, <laughs> it brews eight cups of coffee at once, right? Um, okay. And he, he brew eight cups, and then he will constantly go get a cup out of it and put it in his inventory, his personal inventory. And then I'll forget that it's in there, and then he'll obviously forget that it's in there, so he'll go get another one and leave that on the desk. And the other day, I opened up his personal inventory to get something out so I could sell it. It was some parts from a repair he did. There were 18 cups of coffee spoiled in his inventory. How do you spoil a cup of coffee? How long was it in there? Days. Okay. Why isn't he drinking it? Some of them were half drunk. It's a pod pod person, isn't it? Well, this is the thing. This is the thing. Um, At no point did I have any um, ability whatsoever to make my sim obsessed with coffee, nor did I give him the option of hoarding coffee in his personal inventory. And yet, of the two of them, John and Rodney, Rodney's the only one doing it. <laughs> That's very strange behavior. No coffee. Josephine and Sebastian. Um, Josephine's first. She's the oldest. And um, she um, is very smart, and she breathes through her homework. And then she got mad the other day because she did her homework and she did her extra credit and she didn't have any other homework to do and she was furious. So I bought her a computer. Have <laughs> <laughs> a computer. Go read about vampires. Go read the Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, <laughs> a little asshole. She's still a fit. She's just having a big meltdown about having finished her homework so but speaking of coffee that had and sentinels sentinels and guides <laughs> um i was rereading one of my stories recently fracture which was my one foray into leverage and um sometimes i throw oh. details in that are not I didn't. I don't plan every detail of my story, right? I mean, there are as long as as long as um, as long as I as long as it, it doesn't it doesn't have major ramifications. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of extemporized, right? It's just made up in the moment. Um, and I'm reading the story, and I was like, I think this may be the cruelest thing I've ever written into a story, which was, and I don't I don't even remember thinking much about this it just kind of came out when I was writing the scene which is that the morning after he bonds that Tony's thinking about how he's mourning his coffee because sentinels don't appreciate the bitterness of it and that Elliot wasn't any exception to that and that Tony could keep drinking it of course but that he wasn't going to put anything in his mouth that would give his sentinel sensory problems and I was like wow what was wrong with me that month <laughs> Do something like that. everything Everything was wrong with you that night. I mean, Jesus, I'll be like, look, dude, you need to learn to appreciate coffee. I just, I just goggled at the screen. I went, wow, I must have been really having a tough time (laughs) written coffee out of Sentinel Guide World. That's, that's rough. (laughs) 
the most oh, epic that's the meanest I've ever done. I've ever encountered. That's the meanest thing I think I've ever done to Tony. <laughs> Take his coffee away. I can't even. I can't. It's just terrible. Yeah, it's just this one little mention about how he was missing coffee, and I, I doubt I thought twice about writing at the time. I just am surprised. I have like, what was wrong with me in that moment that I would choose to take coffee out of the Sentinel Guide universe, <laughs> which is what I did. <laughs> it probably isn't safe. There are all of these uncaffeinated guides running around. If the Sentinels don't like it and they've never had it, or they don't have it from the time they come on online, it's not bothering them, but it sure the hell is supposed to be bothering all those guides with all those empathic abilities running around without any caffeine. I mean, I would say if McKay lived in that world, he would be like, no, I'm not registering because I'm not ever having a Sentinel because fuck you and coffee. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) One day John shows up, no. And John will be like, but I learned to drink coffee for you. Well, come on in then. <laughs> and you're pretty. <laughs> yeah, Blair could even tell John that. He said he's not going to register as a guide because, you know, he, he can't give up he's coffee. Giving up coffee. <laughs> and I do. I. It's not – I tweak the details of my – Sentinel Guide Worlds for every story that I write um, so that they don't all read like cookie cutters. Now, <laughs> I have had people think that all of my Sentinel Guide universes are cookie cutters for each other, but I feel like that's just poor reading comprehension. Um, but anyway, I do kind of, some of them are dramatically different from each other, like Primus is distinctly very different. Uh, we Choices isn't very long, but it's very to me, very different from anything else I've done. Um, but most of them have common elements. You know, there's, there's a kind of a common pool of, of, of Sentinel Guide tropes that I like, that I, that I draw from, but exactly how they're implemented in society and in the function of Sentinels and Guides and how many there are, how, how common they are, what their governance structure is like. I tend to kind of tweak some of that stuff, if not outright change it from story to story. Um, to suit the needs of what I'm doing. So, and that's where I get crazy shit like <laughs> Sentinels don't like coffee. But, you know, I wrote one sent- one story where all Sentinels hated bananas. So, you know, that's total personal thing there, though. I can't stand bananas. <laughs> but bananas are so benign. I mean, out of all the fruit, bananas? I don't think they're benign. I think they've got an incredibly overpowering taste. If you could put one tiny piece of banana in a 32-ounce smoothie, and I will tell you, be able to tell you there's bananas in there. I find that they drown out the taste of every other fruit. I think they're appallingly gross. Um, Even now? Yeah, I, I hate bananas. So, yeah, I think they're gross. I can't stand them. So, to me, it's just like it's it's – it's like this really dominant fruit in terms of taste. For something that is, you would think is kind of, like you said, kind of inoffensive on the on the face of it, they can take over. They complete. The only thing bananas are good for, quite frankly, is banana nut bread. 
with those suckers, yes. right? You make bread out of I them. I love banana that's nut bread. That's what bananas are for. But in that same story, I had it that Sentinels universally like pineapple. That was just a fuck you to Danny. <laughs> <laughs> not that I not that I don't like pineapple, but that that was I decided because I was I decided it started as a fuck you to Danny, which is that all Sentinels liked um, pineapple, and I thought, well, what do all Sentinels dislike? And I was using this, what do all Sentinels dislike? as a bit of foreshadowing, um, uh, because Grace hates banana popsicles. Um, I was going to pick a fruit like grape or something. I'm like, oh, fuck it. It's going to be bananas because I hate bananas. Uh, and But I did kind of a tiny bit of foreshadowing that, that Grace hates banana popsicles. And um, Steve asked Danny, he says, is she, is she latent? And Danny says, no, we had her tested. She's not. Well, she is latent. And she does come online. When, in the sequel I had plotted, she comes online. Um, that Rachel paid for the test results to be altered so that she could get custody because – you know, she's not online and Danny is and um, the court would favor a sentinel parent over a mundane parent with a latent sentinel. So um, yeah, I'm mad. But I kind of <laughs> So it's just this kind of little little tiny tiny foreshadowing about Grace, which is that they have this discussion about fruit in the very first scene. And Danny just offhand mentions Grace hates banana popsicles. And Steve says, is she late? And he says, no, she's completely mundane. She doesn't like them. And then that's never brought up again. And that was foreshadowing for the story I had planned for the sequel because but I never got around to writing. <laughs> you never know. Next year could be the year of the sequel, the Sentinel sequels. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking about how we could kind of situate Rough Trade next year. Because April is usually a, a 30 challenge. 30K? Mm-hmm. And then July is two shorts. To um, ten to twenty-five, and then November is fifty. So I'm wondering if just the Sentinel Guide trope is enough, or if we should kind of like structure them so that there's an additional challenge attached to them. Well, July, your additional challenge in July is baked in, which is that it is short story, work, you got word economics, short story construction. So mm-hmm. you've got, I think you've got this extra challenge baked in. Nano, in a way, you also have a challenge baked in, but I think some more structure would probably be a good idea because you've got the 50K. April, to me, is the most nebulous. It's like, what do you do distinct? Because July is up to 25K, you know. Um, times two, so you're conceivably getting more in July than you do in April. But 25k and 30, not not that you have to go to 20 to 30 25k. You can do 10. It's just 
I never do. Um, <clears throat> well, we could attach a theme to them. We could do themes. Um, you could do, okay, this, some people may hate this. People, this could be a terrible, terrible suggestion, but it's the first thing that popped into my <laughs> head for April, for April, which would be a, an established relationship challenge. Because, I mean, it does kind of, a lot of what we explore in Sentinels and Guide is meeting and getting together. Well, you know, what if they're already together? What if your main pairing is already together? Because we actually talked about that a little bit in the in a, as a complaint, that when you're doing 25K, you don't have time to really work in a lot of plot on top of meeting and bonding and all of that, right? So, I don't know. But for the people who really, really like the meet and the get-together, the first-time aspect, I could see that, you know. Well, that would be in July because those are our bonding picks in July. Yeah, because those are short story ones, yeah. Although short story can also lend itself to established relationship because – you can do one or the other. That's what we talked about. In a short story, you can do one or the other, but you can't really do both. You can get them together and go through the whole bonding and getting their relationship sorted out, or you can have them together and have a plot. So, like, the first one could be, like, April could be an established relationship fix, and then July could be bonding fix, and then what will we do in November? Um, alternate universe. Well, Setman Guide is an alternate universe. Or do you mean like, um, are we talking like uh, like fusing it, doing an AU, and then putting a Sentinel Guide on top of it? No, November is Nano. I would never do an unfinished work challenge during Nano. We have 90 seconds left, Armageddon. <laughs> I'm not sure I could do it into the world thick. I mean, I don't know. I like the idea of the AU, and then you put Sentinel and Guide on top of it. So you have to come up with some kind of AU, and then make your character Sentinels and Guides. That would fit perfectly with me doing Star Trek in November. I'm just saying. I think an AU would actually give people a lot more freedom, which is one of my goals in November, is to give as much freedom as possible, um, and to give you know an alternate universe, um, and then slap Sentinel and Guide on top of it would be a great one. So I think that's probably our our challenges for next year, you guys. Um, so we've got 41 seconds left. Um, I hope you guys had a fantastic evening, and um, we will catch you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. <laughs>